This episode of Crossing Broadcast is brought to you by Cinch by Amerigas. Head on over to their site, cinch.com. That's C-Y-N-C-H dot com. They will deliver a new full propane tank to your home and take your old tank away for just $10 with the promo code CROSSINGBROAD. That's right. For just $10, they'll take away that old cobweb-laden, greasy, disgusting propane tank and bring a beautiful, fresh, and full propane tank to your home for just $10. Use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD at cinch.com. That's C-Y-N-C-H dot com. Week one of the NFL season is all done, and your Philadelphia Eagles came out victorious. And it's a beautiful thing because the Delaware Valley is uh, is thrilled. But I can't help but feel like there's been a story that's overshadowed some of these things. It's overshadowed some of the Eagles' luster. It's taken a lot of the shine out of this one. And of course, we're going to be here to break it down because this is, after all, Philadelphia's only 7 for 7 podcast. Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad, Kevin Kincaid, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Kevin. Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, Philadelphia Union, Philadelphia Fusion, and uh, fighting in the Link parking lot mm. will be our seventh <clears throat> excuse me, uh, sport for the day. And Russ... Um, Pour one out for the F lot. A few hours before, yeah, a few hours before we started, uh, we fired up this bad boy. The crossing broadcast, uh, the F lot crew was officially disbanded. Oh no! Uh, yeah, the F lot crew uh, is no more. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of background here, but uh, to in the most simple terms, the uh, guy who who I guess we'll call him like the leader of the group. We'll call him microphone guy, the guy who was shouting at people over the microphone. He went on the Mike Missinelli show. Tuesday afternoon and apologized and said, uh, we're all, you know, getting ragged here. We're embarrassed. And, uh, the F lot tailgate is no more. The coffin, uh, will be sent back to wherever the coffin came from. I'm not sure where they got it. Maybe they borrowed it from, uh, a local undertaker, not the undertaker, not the tombstone pile driver and choke slam undertaker, but maybe a local undertaker. Uh, so the coffin is no more, the microphone is no more, uh, the F-Lot crew uh, is no more, but the bad tattoos are forever. Wow. That's beautiful. Now, that I, being I think said... The, the, the loss of the F-Lot is, uh, I don't know, it's got to be up there with, with uh, some of the the best careers that have been cut short. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's come up with a list of... Uh, of some of our favorites who uh, who were gone too soon. Jeremy Bloom, Jeremy Bloom, the former Olympic skier, mm-hmm. career uh, cut short by a lack of talent. J.R. Reed, Eric Lindros would be one of them. Oh, Lindros, mm-hmm. J.R. Reed, right? He was the uh, the kick returner who uh, hopped a fence. Mm-hmm. I believe he was getting chased by a dog. Yeah, and then had that nerve damage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He actually had talent. Uh, Derek Rose, you know, never really. Uh, there was a lot of potential for him to be a. You know, a Hall of Fame type of player. Um, Brandon Roy, same thing. Brandon knee Roy. injury. Mark, Greg Odin. Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz oh, would be one of them. He's still going to be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of Michael great, Franco. Michael Franco. Was certainly going to go down as the best third baseman of all time. In a the lot Phillies of promising. You know? A lot of promising careers uh, cut short. You know, Eric Lindros, Markel yeah. Fultz, the F Lot crew. Um, we'll never get to see their full potential. Actually, we did get to see their full potential, which is why. Um, 
which is why we've reached the point that we have. But listen, let's like kind of go backwards here. Okay, so they get in the fight, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's reported that there was a racial slur that was thrown out there. I wrote the column on it on Monday, and then, you know, it's kind of taken the city by storm, right? So to try to move the story forward, to try to advance the story, or to even just take it at, like, face value, the, the topic of my column, the focus of the column that I wrote on Monday after the takeaways column was, you know, look, we, we don't know. We don't have the facts. We're not going to have the facts unless we hear somebody saying the N-word or something similar on video, or we see Mike Scott walking up to a guy and clocking him when he's not looking. You know, we we, we didn't we had witness accounts, secondhand information, stuff like that, but nothing that could really be proven on video. Okay, we saw Mike Scott take a swing. We saw some other some other guy come in and try to hit him while he was being pulled back. Okay, whatever. On a macro level, you know, a lot of people were saying, "Well, you shouldn't be wearing a Redskins jersey down to a tailgate anyway." Okay, jeez, oh, um, or or what? Or else what? We're gonna punch you in the face. We're yeah, gonna this this is a whole physically thing. physically get 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 in your face. So, I, I, you have to separate the idea. There's a separation here where number one, I said and I wrote this in the column. I'm like, look, Mike Mike Scott's got to be smarter than this. Like, we people warned him. People told him what was gonna happen. That some some idiot drunk fans are probably gonna give him crap. He wore the jersey and he went down anyway, knowing full well what might have happened, okay? But that doesn't excuse the fact that my problem, to boil it down to the most simple thing here, my problem is that we have to warn people to look out for a certain portion of our fan base, you know? Yep. That's that's when you boil it down to the most simple thing. Like, what does it say about us that we have to warn somebody about wearing a certain shirt in a certain location? It doesn't say that it's a intimidating or a hostile environment. It says that we're a bunch of morons, you know? It makes yep. us all look bad. No, and it, it comes back to the argument of the lowest common denominator. I'm not saying that everybody who uh, who was part of the FLA crew is an idiot. But, you know, you look at this, and, and first, like, the initial video that came out, you know, is Mike Scott backpedaling. There's some punches being thrown. It looks like somebody's trying to tackle him, and then there's obviously somebody trying to get between that guy and Mike Scott, um, I guess presumably a member of the Sixers security staff. As is, I guess. Yeah, now they the, each, they each, yeah, there's always one, at least one security guy. So, like, there, with them. there are a few things to keep in mind here, because then the, the, uh, the later video that came out, um, I want to talk about the tail end first. It was, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, um, after the initial video cut out. Philadelphia police are there with, like, on horseback. So, it's not as if there were no police in the area. And I saw, you know, like, I, I tweeted out a thing, and, and I said, there, there are three things that your first reaction like if your first reaction was saying that he shouldn't have wore, he shouldn't have worn another team's jersey to a tailgate or to a game in Lincoln Financial Field you're one condoning reckless overly drunken behavior because you're supporting belligerent jackasses two you're continuing to play into the national narrative around the city and three you're part of the problem and what i what i got back was you know People on on both sides. I feel like Trump here is saying, "Look, there are good people on both sides." But like, there were some people who like misread the tweet and thought that I was going after Mike Scott, and then finally, like, they came back around. But I did have a few a few people say, like, "Well, you know, what else is you know, what you didn't see is is you know, he was under a tent, which is fair." So you get back to like the beginning of that video, um, where he's he's under a tent behind the coffin, and what it sounds like is he thought that the coffin was funny. I wanted to take a picture with it, but we don't have anything that really precedes him getting to that tenor coffin. So like 
it just kind of left a, a question mark looming overhead. Now, the thing that I'll say to the people who like want to throw all of this on Mike Scott is, you know, you don't have to fight the guy as evidenced by the fact that there were cops on horses that were like feet away, right? Worst comes to worst, you try to like not totally turn this into a violent confrontation. You say, listen, dude, get out. He's like, what, 6'9", right? 6'10"? Six, six, like, six, eight. like, and he's got a long wingspan. Like, you're not going to fight this guy. And if you're stupid enough to fight him, it proves how drunk you really are. Yeah, so, like, well, yeah, so, like true, yeah. and that's the funny thing here is, like, there's a dude here who's probably, like, what, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, trying to, like, square up with Mike Scott? Like, you're a dope. Like, if, if you're going to do that, you do deserve to get punched in the head. Now, here's well, the thing. Well, and some Sixers, some Sixers fans just came flying to Mike Scott's defense, too, in, in yeah. the same way that some of the people came to defend the drunken idiots or, or to, like, apologize, not apologize for it, but to, like, uh, enable it, you know, where they were just saying, well, it's Mike Scott, like, certainly he could do nothing wrong. You know, I don't... I don't not saying he he did or he didn't because I don't because we don't have all the facts, but as a base as a baseline kind of very simple kind of thing, just say, dude, you're gonna make a couple million dollars this year. You're you have a roster spot on a championship contender. Just you can't be. You're popular in you're popular in the town. You're popular. People know who you are. Just like don't. Apparently, get there were like shit, other you know? tailgates on the way that had invited him on. There were other tailgates that were on the way that had like sent him a message. Of course, he was heading over to the Fourth and John one. Like. There's it just like a moment, there's a moment where you just, it's like, there's just a moment where you have to walk away. And this is the thing I don't get. Like if the idea was he just wanted to go get a picture with the coffin and these people were giving him a hard time for it, then like, I think that's dumb. Um, but like he also, he had multiple opportunities to get away from it. Like, no, I know. I know. And, and, and he's a guy who, who I'm sure welcomes that and kind of like, you know how he, he's calling for everybody to boo Jimmy Butler. And, you know, there was a, there was a mix up last year, I think in the playoffs where he was the first guy to get involved. Yep. Um, in that altercation, I forget who it was with. I want to say it was like Brooklyn or something, but, um, he, he got, he jumped in there, but listen, I'm not going to sit here and say like, look, you, you and me are white dudes from Schuylkill County and, and upper Monco. Okay. I'm I'm never going to be able to sit here and say that I can ever relate to being a black man and being called a racial slur. Okay. Like I just, I just can't. All right. I also can't understand what it's like to be taller than five foot six and a half and being taller than five foot six and being able to shoot better than 25% from three. Right. So we can't relate to what it's like to be Mike Scott dead on. I'm like, dead but late, I think, but anywhere else. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I think like as a blanket thing, like you would say, look, it doesn't mean like people could call you the most heinous shit of all time, but you, you Mike Scott have so much more to lose than these jabronis. Right. I mean, you throw a punch you're six foot eight. You got a huge height and weight advantage on these guys. You break the dude's jaw, he sues you, and then what's next? You yeah, know then what it's I mean? there because like, your salary for the season. It's just stupid. yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's just you, you. Like athletes are just. It's a different standard. It's a different set of rules. I'm not saying that's fair, but he just has to understand that that's the situation for him. Again, that's that's different from that's not that does not equate to blaming Mike Scott. It's not blaming the victim. It's just the unique circumstances of of being a professional athlete and how you can be held accountable for certain things in a, in a, in a way that's not balanced with what the average Jamoke is dealing with. You know what I mean? Yep. But you know, to, 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 to to go back to the thing, it's all about walk away at at some point, like either side has to walk away or somebody has got to call on the police who are, who are patrolling to try to defuse the situation. Well, let me, let me 
real quick just play like uh, a minute and a half of the interview with the microphone guy to miss an I think I got it queued up to the right spot here, but this is where he's talking about. Um, I think they're like, I think he's saying that they're calling it quits here, right? Monday, yesterday, we all we all spoke, and our tailgating days are done. We broke up our crew. Um, I've gone so far as to give up my tickets for the rest of the year, and if it's an issue, I plan on not renewing um, because this is an embarrassment to the city, the fan base, the team, both teams, everyone involved. Everyone involved has to handle this in their own way. We've all set plans in motion to, to handle this and end this right here, right now. Um, like I said, we tried to reach out to the Sixers and Mike Scott. Maybe you can help us do that. Uh, you know, we, we, no one feels, I, I understand earlier somebody called in and said we're, people are hiring lawyers. There's no one hiring lawyers. All right, so you're not, you're not planning to sue Mike Scott. Absolutely not. And your son is not planning to sue Mike Scott because he was in the scrap with him. All right. So, I mean, they just go on a little bit like that, but the gist of it is like, they're done, man. You know? So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say like like what 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 now like you're gonna we're gonna keep going after these dudes and like reveal their full names and reveal where they live and like try to get them fired from their jobs i don't i don't i'm just i can't get i can't get down with that shit i've been on the other side of that okay so i would never uh condone that anybody doing that or or me being a part of that um accountability and whatnot if somebody used a racial slur and like their employer finds out about it or the dude's wife finds out about it or something like that they can they can decide on their own whether they want to keep that person employed or whether they want to remain married to that person or something for as far as the outside stuff like we said our piece we wrote our columns we got all our page views out of it and stuff like that to me i'm more interested in in the macro like what now right i mean can you really have these these lots opening like five hours something before a game well i think it's part these of these guys too, these is... guys said that they he said on that on the interview with mike missing that they started drinking at five in the morning yeah it's like started drinking what, at five yeah. in the morning but for a one o'clock game yeah and like what do you what exactly do you think is going to happen it, this is the yeah. other thing though like this is part of like the the alcoholic um culture that like not just the city but like american sports in, in general continues to just kind of turn a blind eye to if you're going to start drinking at 5 a.m., what exactly, like, what kind of experience are you going to have at the 1 o'clock p.m. game? Like, honestly, you're going to spend... It's like wing you're gonna, shit, Like, you know? you're going to spend thousands of dollars, presumably, on season tickets to get blitzed starting at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. You're going to be drinking for, what, eight hours? Like, almost eight hours leading up to the game. Now, look, maybe you have one an hour. Maybe maybe you have one every ten minutes. I don't know, but like this this to me, like I I will say, and I know that there are other people who feel like this. I think the Eagles tailgating culture is one of the most toxic, negative things that exists in the city. And of all of the teams and of all of the tailgates to go to, the Eagles tailgates are my least favorite to walk past. Now I have done tailgates in the past at Eagles games that I think are like pretty solid. You go, you grill, you drink, and like. You treat other people as if they're other people. But you don't yeah, treat you don't, I mean, you don't treat we, people we can't like absolute in, trash. Right, but we can't be lump, we can't just be stereotyping and saying, well, this is more of this and it's less of this or whatever. I mean, it, it to a point it is like each tailgate is different, you know, like just yeah, but you some, know what? some idiots I, in the F lot crew did a bunch of shit. That means everybody's an idiot down there. The number of times that I've gone past tailgates that have been just absolutely disgustingly belligerent 
Like, the the amount of times that I've gone past tailgates that are, like, that far outweigh those of people who are just, like, sitting, chilling, having a beer. I mean, I'm, I get I'm not it. looking. I, I, I'm not looking to, like, mm-hmm. compare this to, like, every team, but, like, I look at Union tailgates, right? There's food, there's beer, there's people having fun, there's, like, kids there that are playing their sport, they're doing whatever, and, like, that's an enjoyable culture to be around. That's solid. You go to, like, a Phillies tailgate ahead of, like, a game that actually matters, which we might not get to see any more of this season, and that's an enjoyable atmosphere. Eagles Eagles tailgates, like, I'm even thinking back to when they beat the Vikings to go on to the Super Bowl. I mean, walking up to the stadium, it was just, it was hundreds, if not thousands of people who could barely walk, threatening to get in fights with each other on the way into the Minnesota game. Like, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing to me is just mind-bending why are you going to spend so much money to have such a poor time i don't get it i just don't if you want to go get drunk on your couch get drunk on your couch if you want to forget and black out the next day drink at home with friends don't take that to the to you know a tailgate and ruin a bunch of people's time because you can't keep it together my other issue here with this whole thing with this f-lot crew is why does this guy need a mic like how big is the f-lot crew do you you genuinely need the mic? Like, I don't know. They yell. Well, they yell at other people who are like walking by. You which know, is like, which they, is also dumb. Like, there's yeah. a certain amount of ribbing that I think is okay. If if you're wearing another team's colors, I think there's something to be said for a a, a comment in jest, a lighthearted kind of back and forth with somebody, and then like you offer them a beer, you shake hands, you walk away, and that's how like that to me is like a decent tailgate, right? But well, the I, but yeah. the idea of like targeting people trashing like middle-aged people cursing like around like around like little kids like i just don't get it i think it's dumb and if that's the kind of culture that like eagles tailgaters want to have in general or a large segment of them like i i wish we could just take all those people put them at their own special little lot and like let them kind of be like the lowest common denominator and let everybody else go and enjoy it like a nice tailgate and not act like a jackass this whole thing is just the the worst part of what being a Philadelphia fan or being a sports fan in general is. And the problem is, you know, this group of like, what, 10, 12 people, they got the national spotlight back on Philadelphia for doing something stupid, including fighting a professional athlete who happens to play in your city. You just have to be better. It's not hard. All right. Well, let's talk about the actual football game itself. There was a game? Um. I mean, I just kept watching that game, and I was sitting here thinking, like, man, this just reminds me so much of that Jacksonville game uh, from a couple years ago, Chip Kelly's second year, um, where Alan Hearns was just running up and down the field and had, like, two touchdowns early, and they were down 17 nothing. and everybody was sitting there like, what in the fuck happened, you know? Um, but, man, I mean, Deshaun's ability to just kind of open things up, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's such a cliche, dumb thing. I don't I don't have anything new or interesting to say about it. You know, I, I think the chart that I found and that I used in the in the takeaway was that, that, that Carson really I mean, if you think about it, his deep threats over the years have been in 2016. Nope. Nobody really. I think he hit Jordan Matthews on a deep on a a deep touchdown pass that year. Then they had Torrey Smith, I guess, kind of stretched the field a little bit in 2017, even though he didn't have a lot of catches. Mike Wallace was supposed to be that guy last year, got injured. So um, last year, Carson was way, 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 way below league averages, throwing deep middle and deep right. So those are passes that are 20 yards or more down the field in the the three quadrants, right? Um, 
the two touchdowns that he threw to Deshaun. One was deep center, one was deep right. So it was just interesting to me how he dumped one into each of those quadrants that, that he was where he was way below league average last year. Um, he just looked more. He looked like 2017 Carson, the way he would sort of step up and then skirt sideways in the pocket. And he wasn't trying to do anything crazy beyond that. He wasn't putting himself in danger or whatever. But he did a nice job of of going through his reads and, and seeing the quick progressions there. And, um, you know, he was, he was uh, <clears throat> seeing some pre-snap reads, some audibles here and there. Um, I don't think Doug had his best game. But, you know, that the, the fourth down, the fourth and one in their own territory – down 17 nothing, man. I mean, that ended up being the catalyst for the entire thing because they went, you know, that was play four of the drive, 12-play 12, uh, 12 drive, where they ran the ball five times in a row, and they ran the ball nine times out of 12 times on that drive. Uh, and they finished with a 55-45 to 45, um, pass run percentage split, which is, I mean, it's about as good as you can get. Um in the NFL, you know, Doug's typically in the 60-40 range. Sometimes he gets in the 55-45, but, um, you know, there was a lot to like. I think the only thing I didn't like was some of the – obviously some of the play call in the first half. I still don't really understand what's going on with the Darren, with his infatuation with Darren Sproles. Um, would have liked to see more Jordan Howard for sure. Um, but, I mean, man, you see, the, you see the weapons that they have on offense, and that was no joke, you know, uh, the fact that uh, they, they came out and – you know, I think the lack of a preseason certainly contributed to them starting really slow. But um, man, if they're clicking like they are in the second half this year for uh, for a good chunk of the season, then Super Bowl or bust. Maybe that's the narrative, man. Maybe that narrative is actually legit. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing to think about is if more of these weapons are able to connect early on. Like we didn't talk about our Artega. See that? Ortega, white side. Ortega, white side. Yeah, let me explain this really quickly to the fine folks of the Delaware Valley who might have a, a large platform on sports talk radio. That phenomenon is called Theteo. Theteo is a, uh, a dialectical Spanish linguistic thing that originated on the Iberian Peninsula. It exists mm-hmm. in many mm-hmm. in in many provinces in Spain. Okay, I'm done. What the anyway, hell is going on here with Antonio Brown? What what is this that I'm reading? Here? So Antonio Brown, uh, breaking news during the podcast. Um, it's stuff from 2017 and 2018. So Antonio Brown was accused of sexual assault and rape, uh, three separate <laughs> incidents, and this and uh, yeah, 2017, 2018. So. Uh, oh. Of course, it's coming out now in the midst of everything else that's been going on with Antonio Brown. So uh, none of this. I'm sorry. Nothing. I just I you know saw what, that Kevin. I'll, and... I'll tell you what though. Three three uh, counts of or three accusations of sexual assault and or rape sounds like a ten thousand dollar fine in the National Football League. Um, anyway, I I guess like I was thinking like Arthago Whiteside was somebody who people were excited to see. Miles Sanders was somebody that people were excited to see, and somebody that Doug Peterson had really talked up. And so we got a lot of Darren Sproles. But if you think about it, some of the youth that's on this team, I think like one of the, the better things that the Eagles have done is by virtue of them having key vets being able to take on larger roles, it allows a lot of their youth to to develop in a way where the spotlight isn't too bright on them. So like Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and to some extent Nelson Aguilar are going to provide Ortega Whiteside the ability to not have to be a focal point of the offense and anything you get out of him is going to be a bonus. Miles Sanders might end up by like week three being the number one back on this team, or maybe by like week six, he's the feature back. But having a guy like Jordan Howard that, you know, can run North to South 
can bust a guy up in the face, and then also, by the way, have the ultimate X-Factor in Darren Sproles, that takes a lot of pressure off of Miles Sanders from having to be the guy and allowing a uh, you know a defensive coordinator to go and, and game plan for how to take him out specifically. So I think they did a good job. And, I, and you know, even if you look at the offensive line, as much as I've given Jason Peters a hard time because he can't stay on the field, like going out and drafting Andre Dillard as the heir apparent makes a lot of sense. And to me, like, all of this is great. And by the way, we barely mentioned, uh, and, it was, and they were barely mentioned on telecast until, like, late in the second half, but, like, Zach Ertz was a, was a latecomer to the game getting involved, and Dallas Goddard was a name that you didn't hear all that much at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this team, this team, like, just weapon-wise... It is the most stacked offense, I think, uh, easily in the division and and possibly in the entire conference. I mean, the I, I don't know who you exactly you put up against them. I mean, if Miles Sanders is able to come out and eventually become that feature back even this year, um, I, I think that really does kind of catapult them. I mean, you think about like the Rams are usually a team you would consider to have a really solid offense. We saw that Gurley, you know, they're saying that He's got a, a nagging knee injury that he hasn't really healed, and they don't know what they're going to get from him. Well, that that kind of takes them out of the running uh, to some extent. You look at like the Cowboys. I mean, they got Zeke back, and Zeke's been chilling in Cabo. And I, you know, I think ultimately, I think the Cowboys are going to be a team that's going to be hard to uh, to compete with. I think they're going to, you know, this should be a two horse race in this division. But like, who else is there in the conference that you're legitimately afraid of getting into a shootout with? Yeah, I don't like a like a what thirty nine year old Drew Brees, sure. If you're if you're in that dome, I guess. Yeah, and they played them tough in the you know obviously in the playoff game not long ago. So yeah, um, you know the Eagles do, you know a good barometer of you know how the Eagles do in games is is I added this uh, entry to the to the takeaways column that I started doing last year actually, but I'm going to make it a regular thing this year. But it's just sort of like the the ancillary kind of the auxiliary phases of the game things that they typically win. I in the in the 2017 uh Super Bowl season, one of the reasons why they were so good is because they just bossed teams in time of possession. Um yep. And they actually finished number one in, in T.O.P. that season. So uh, on Sunday, they won time of possession 34-21 to 25-30-something. Um, that's ridiculous, man. That is a, a crazy number because typically the team that finishes first, you know, first or second in the NFL every year in time of possession numbers, that number is only 32. Yeah. Um, so it's rare for them to, to, to finish with a 34, anything higher than a 34. But uh, – there was a point in the second half where they were winning that half by like a twenty to five margin because the Redskins just went punt, punt, punt. I think it was it was uh, ten plays for five yards in those first three possessions. So they balanced out time of possession after they were getting killed in the first half. Um, they didn't turn the ball over. Uh, neither team did, so it was a zero turnover margin. They went eleven for seventeen on third down, sixty four point seven percent. That's insane, and that's an outlier, and that'll that'll never. We know that Carson's really good on third downs, and he was during the Super Bowl year as well. But even that year, they finished 44% total on third downs. Um, and last year, they finished 40%. So 64 is an insane outlier. Um, they went one for two on the fourth down. The only the fourth down call that I hated was the was the friggin' uh, Darren Sproles pitch. Yeah. I think everybody hated that one. Um, you, that used to be the, tu- like the tuna can offense. The tuna can <laughs> offense plays like – You've got the pitch. You've got the bubble screen that they tried to run to Deshaun. Like some of yeah, these plays, I think I at like, some point, I like, like I just think at some point, like you, 
I know that you have to run them in the thought that like you might catch a defense off guard, but like I, I think it, it was pretty clear that Doug did a lot at, of that in the, the 2017 year too. Remember some of those bubble screens, sure. some of the, some of those um, lateral screens, and then Darren Sproles got a lot of work actually in the Chiefs game that they went out there and lost. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you went out and got Jordan Howard for that kind of stuff, and Carson Wentz is is probably the best quarter. Well, probably behind Tom Brady, but one of the best quarterbacks in the league at. Uh, those short yardage sneaks too, you know, you're running behind Jason Kelsey. Um, it's just, it just seems like Doug kind of overthinking things a little bit. Redskins went five for 13 on third down. So they were down to 38.5%. That's a more typical number. Um, they lost zero yards on one sack. I think there's, it was just one called pass play where Carson was flushed out of the pocket and he got it back to the line of scrimmage. Um, they went two for three in the red zone. Red zone was a problem for them last year. They dropped all the way down from like seventh in red zone touchdown scoring to like 18th uh, going from 2017 to 2018. So that was huge for them to go to go two for three. Only six penalties for 54 yards. They had the holding call that brought back the touchdown, the Miles Sanders touchdown. Um, that, I don't know, man. That was kind of an iffy call too. Um, and then they had the holding on, on Big V. Deshaun got flagged for the uh, on like I guess in the in the first quarter, first series, first two series or something. They probably could have just had offsetting penalties for that. I thought that was kind of BS too. They had twenty two first downs, just fifteen for Washington. They ran seventy total plays. Washington ran fifty nine. So you know, you have wins across the board there. When they, when they control you know time of possession and whatnot, and they put those long drives together, it just like it just squeezes the shit out of opposing teams. You know, it's yep. like a, it's like an anaconda of you know wrapping it wrapping itself around you not the wow. anaconda not the anaconda from the sir uh from the sir mix a lot song mm. but the uh the how about the anaconda from the uh, jennifer lopez movie more like that one okay uh yeah that was a good one too but uh yeah man i, I don't know i just um I, I guess the slow star was not so i guess i would say that i wasn't really surprised by the way that um Sunday started because if you think about it, like four of the last five Eagles season openers have been kind of like sloppy, whatever. Anyway, I mean like the Falcons win last year was just kind of a defensive struggle. Nick Foles wasn't that good. You know, I mentioned the Jaguars game. Um, they had the, the, there were six turnovers in the Redskins game in 2017. So, you know, as, as Nate Diaz would say, I ain't surprised motherfuckers. Yeah. I would say that like the, the last few uh, season openers have been kind of like blase. Um, let me ask you this. Let me flip this back on you. So I, I kind of feel like the Eagles offense is at, at its best when they've got a north-south runner that can punch you in the mouth. And Jordan Howard, I think, had a few runs in that game that reminded me, and I, I, you know, I put this out on Twitter and then I remembered, between the visor, the number 24, and the running style, Jordan Howard almost reminds you of like a, a Ryan Matthews when he was here. Contact um, after, you, uh, yards yeah. after contact. Yeah. Yep. And you don't have, you know, because you don't have that massive back like a LeGarrette Blunt, he ends up being the guy who can soften up the defensive line a bit or soften up the linebackers who are going to come in and, and try to make physical plays on him. So I, I like what he brings to the table. Sanders, like the, the best part, I think, of, of that game was there were moments where like Sproles would get two, three touches in a row. And you'd be like, all right, this is cute. This is fun. We love Darren Sproles. Like it's it's always going to be. I feel like Darren Sproles at this point is almost like Vince Carter. Like Vince Carter's on what his he's about to play, assuming that he plays a healthy season and plays into January of 2020. He'll be the first player in NBA history to play in four different decades. 
Sproles to me is just kind of like a guy that he can play as long as he wants, as long as he's able to stay healthy. But you watch Darren Sproles and that explosiveness isn't there the way that I think people are used to. Like he doesn't have the afterburners that he used to. He just looks like he's quick because his legs go so quick. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, it's true. But but you you really realize it when you go from two or three Sproles plays in a row, and then Sanders comes in and hits a hole. And even if it's only to pick up like five or six yards, and he doesn't get that final breakaway move that you know he busts you, he, gouge, he gashes you for thirty yards. Sanders just had this like this level of explosiveness that I don't think any back on the team has, and it's just something nice because it's like quite honestly it's something i don't think they've had in three years well it's the old so it, like, it's um, nice it's, yeah. it's like good to see it. and it's it's nice to see that you know some of the expectations that people had for him and, and that the coaches had talked up all offseason it's nice to see that in spurts he was able to find that kind of success that you know kind of gets you set up for wow you know it would be nice to have a running back that can grow with carson and with a young receiving core you know, even though you've got vets, like I mentioned before, like Alshon Jeffrey and Sean Jackson holding down, you know, the two most important spots out wide. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's like a typical one, two punch kind of thing. I, you know, I, it, it does remind me a little bit, I guess, on paper of, of, or design wise, mechanics wise of, you know, kind of like what Reggie Bush and Lendale White were, you know, out at Southern Cal where that was, you know, one more explosive guy can cut, can jump, can do a lot of spectacular things. Then you're sort of downhill runner guy. Actually, Lendale White scored a bunch of touchdowns for that. I think people forget, but, um, and then he had a, a couple of decent years actually with the Titans, I think I want to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you go out, you get Jordan Howard, use him. Like, I don't, I don't really know. I think Deuce Staley just kind of sort of, I, I still don't know if there's really a method to how he, you know, makes his personnel selections and, and what's being dialed up. But, uh, you know, they do to their credit, they do kind of get these things straightened out and they did get it straightened out the last couple of years and they figured out who to, who to give the ball to. I mean, last year it was, you know, Josh Adams, like, cause they didn't really have anybody else, but he, he put some decent games together. Um, you know, in the year prior to that, they realized they didn't like what they had and they went out and got Jay Ajayi and then, you know, fed him the ball. So they it usually takes them two to three games to kind of get that going. Um, I guess I really wasn't surprised. You know, these, the, the the template for Doug, I think, over his tenure here has been games one and two and then a little bit of three. He's still doing a little bit of experimenting and trying to figure out what's going on. And then you'll see them do more of their bread and butter as they um, as they get back to it, as I argue with people on Twitter here for whatever reason. Um, what are you arguing about now? No, I just I, I said that I wasn't really into doxing the, uh, the, the F-Lock the guys because, like, look, I mean – their their employers, okay, already know what the hell's going on. Obviously, all right, yeah. They're wise. And the pictures, the going and the on. pictures the came know. out. It was on it's, Facebook, Instagram. Like they they they've been discovered. Right, right. So, so there's no people worrying about a lack of accountability or you know we got to get the racists or something like that. I mean, trust me, there, there there's the people who who employ these guys are already well aware of what's going on here and, and what was said, and I'm sure they've even already talked to them about it. So this is not. There's a difference between. Um, accountability and this just like rabid like cancel culture where we just want to get people fired for the sake of getting them fired. Okay, the, the, the those processes are already in place. Trust me. Like, yep. the, they they've already their employers are well aware of whatever the hell is going on. I'm sure one of their wives is already filing for divorce as we speak. So it's not. I don't like. I don't like the pile on from people who don't have anything to fucking do with it. Okay, so um, that's that was just my gripe. Okay, a couple other. Let's just go through some of these uh, bullets real quick. Um, sure. Morgan Moses said he thought it was a slap in the face that Adrian Peterson was inactive. Um, I mean, we all knew Darius Geis was going to be the guy, though. But I mean, well, here's uh, I guess here's the here's the counter to it. 
is it more disrespectful to have him on the team and to tell him midweek that he's not going to be active, which is apparently, you know, that's what uh, Burkhart said on the uh, telecast. Is it more disrespectful to have him around the team and let him know that midweek or to like flat out cut him? Because my argument would be like, if you cut Adrian Peterson, then all of a sudden the narrative becomes the Redskins of all teams parted ways with Peterson. Could that be the end of his career? What a sad way to end his career, right? Mm-hmm. I would also think that like at some point it had to have come up this offseason and through training camp to Adrian Peterson that like you might not be active every week. I have to think that's a thing. Because if not, then, then yet another Gruden really screwed up a relation with another player. Because, like, you would think that has to be part of the, the game plan that goes into it, right? Because, like, otherwise you would think that Adrian Peterson would have tried to get himself sent elsewhere or get cut during training camp so he could latch on with another team and try to have a role elsewhere. That's what I would think. So either this guy is, like, totally spot on and there's something that's been left unsaid here that, like, Peterson was told that he was going to have a bigger role mm-hmm. and, and, like, he was misled. Or Peterson and Gruden kind of had an understanding and he's trying to be supportive of a young running back, and it just so happens that he's not active and it sucks, but like that's what it is, and he kind of knows where he's at in his career. Uh, Malik Jackson's reportedly after the season, um, I guess I was kind of surprised to see that because the list Frank is is not, it's not typically a season end, ender. I think they usually, uh, you go under surgery, God, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think Deuce had one of those, God, I guess it would have been like 15 years ago, like 15, 16, 17 years ago at this point. I can't remember how long he was out. Jonathan Allen had one for the Redskins, but he suffered his in October, so they were already into the season at that point. Um, I don't know. I guess it's different in football, too. I mean, Furkan Korkmaz had one of these, then he came back. Um, But if Malik Jackson's out for a long period of time, Tim Jernigan, you're up, man. Um, And Hassan Ridgeway is up behind him. I don't know – People saying, well, let's get Chris Long on the phone. I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense because they, well, you know, they would, they would prefer to have. Well, he's now I guess, doing a, a podcast with uh, with Ryan Russillo yeah. once a week. Yeah. So is he going to want to walk away from that? Uh, I feel like I he's, don't been, think he's, he's been pretty he outspoken back, like, in, in his like, quasi-retirement, too. So it's well, yeah, I mean, he's been a little he bit said, critical of the league and such. So well, and he said, straight up, he said straight up, too, that he didn't, he didn't, reason he didn't come back to the Eagles is because he didn't like the role he was going to have. So if he come, yeah. if they pick him up off the street, well, he's not going to have any more of a role than he thought he was going to have, right? But I think not. people were saying, I mean, you know how the Eagles like to stack uh, defensive ends inside on third and long. You know, they're third and long. Yeah obvious passing down personnel will be like Fletcher Cox. They'll, they'll pull like, you know, Brandon Graham inside and play him a tackle and they'll put two defensive ends on the outside. So really you have three ends and one tackle in there and you're just pushing vert- vertically and trying to get to the quarterback on an obvious passing down. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like they replaced Malik Jackson with Chris Long. It wouldn't surprise me because then you'd have Jernigan Cox Ridgeway behind him. And then when you got to third downs, you would just have a, have a defensive end come in anyway. So I wouldn't necessarily be too worried about it being a, a this is kind of where the, uh, the failed move, allegedly, reportedly, uh, for Jadavian Clowney kind of comes back to loom a little bit larger than you would hope it would. Because had you gone out and, and been able to acquire Clowney, you know, you could have suffered an injury on your defensive line and it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. The question now is, like, the team still has, what what is it, $19 million in cap space, I think. Um, if there's a, a body out there that you can go and get... Um, Maybe you can try to pluck somebody off of a Miami Dolphins team that uh, 
pretty much everybody is a malcontent at this point with mm-hmm. the Dolphins trying to tank. I don't know who that is, but maybe you try to go and, and get somebody off of one of these these lower teams and, you know, send them a draft pick, take on the cap hit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, that's one of the positives of carrying some cap space into the season is knowing that, you know, if, God forbid, something happens to somebody that matters, and Malik Jackson is a difference maker, you can at least try to go out and replace him. So we'll see. I, I have to think that ha- the, the king of the trade, Howie Roseman, has to get on the phone with uh with some other gms for sure um what else did we have here we had uh monday night football were you as offended by the the down and distance graphic as everybody else was the yellow no. the yellow arrow no. it's it's like just take a chill pill everybody it's it's all right <laughs> well it's be, okay. but, but people were saying i mean the reason people had a problem one of the reasons um people had a problem with it was because it looked like a penalty flag you know i think yeah. it's not it's not espn but it doesn't another one of the networks when there's a flag they'll flash like a yellow yeah Fox something on the okay so everybody kept yeah. looking down at that thing that they're getting a flag all right um it's about, all about changing your perspective though too right like if if that just became a, a norm on espn you'd get used to it after a while okay did you have a take on this woman Who, who is that? Why is she so upset? That was an Eagles fan sitting in the upper deck. She was not happy um, that Carson Wentz wasn't throwing the ball down the field. She thought it was another check. I think she was calling check downs, check offs. Oh, um, I did okay. a full. Hang on, I did a full, uh, full transcription here. Well, you know what, I, I will Jesus, say that she uh, said, "Jesus Christ, Carson, that was a fucking checkoff." Jesus Christ, look downfield. What the fuck? That was a darn fucking checkoff. Come on, that is not. The she said initial... darn. Did she really say darn? I think so. There's two words I couldn't hear. That's her. amazing, Russ. That... Let me re- can I please read the Go full ahead. transcription here? Okay. The woman says. Jesus Christ, Carson, that was a fucking checkoff. Jesus Christ, look downfield. What the fuck? That was a darn fucking checkoff. Come on. That is not the initial fucking play. I'm dead ass serious. That is not. Someone needs to get the fuck open. And the other guy says, they ran a screen. And the woman says, there's no way he's getting over on that screen. So that was the full transcription there. She wasn't wrong like though. That, they got to push belongs, it. Uh, they got to push it. She belongs in the, the F lot. I think she was actually right because Carson then did decide to push the ball down the field and they scored two touchdowns, two D uh, D Jacks uh, bombs. What else did we have in the hopper here? God, like half of the stories. I'm looking through our uh, queue and half of the stories were about Mike Scott, the F lot crew. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Let's do, Here, let's I do have, this. Story. I, have, I have something. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Well, is it is it Eagles related? No, I was I was going to move it on to something different. Well, I want to get your opinion on this okay. because uh, this is this is a Philadelphia. Now we have we've got podcast wars going on. Um, I just saw on Twitter, Spike Eskin is very upset because the uh, the art of the take pod, which I actually enjoy, I think they do a good job, uh, has apparently been ripped off by the Ringer, and. Per a few people on Twitter who have requested that I don't do 
a Bill Simmons impression because apparently doing an impression is stealing that person's thing. I'll just say that Bill Simmons has now announced that there's a new show coming called The Hottest Take on the Ringer <laughs> Podcast Network. Uh, and it's going to be like a mini podcast series where they're they're going to like just throw out their hottest take and do like a seven to nine minute episode. Mm. And Spike Eskin's very upset about this. Do you think he has reason to be upset, keeping in mind that there have been a bunch of Ringer people who have been on the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast? Um... <laughs> Including John Gonzalez, formerly of the Philadelphia area. So, so the the problem is what is is Bill Simmons He's, is doing like his own Art of the Take podcast. Yeah, it's called the Hottest Take, okay. and it's going to be seven. He said seven to nine minute episodes. That's going to be only on Spotify. And Spike Eskin hmm. put out that he is he's upset about it, and then he goes on to kind of mock the. Uh, the kind of podcast that Simmons usually rolls out. Well, to just do a, I think Spike is justified in feeling the way he feels. I mean, it's one thing to just do like takes, offer takes or something. I do this, you know, I do the 50 hot takes, like, you know, spoof column, like every once in a while or whatever, but to brand your podcast in like the same thing that Spike and Joe and Jack branded in the same way that they branded their podcast. I mean, it does seem a little iffy, doesn't it? Like, isn't yeah. that a little stepping on people's well, toes? Or whatever. But doesn't Sp- Spike's not a like a Bill Simmons fan in general, right? Is it because, because he's like a I don't know. Celtics I, I don't, guy or some, there's some background know. there that I'm not, I don't really know. Enough I don't about. know. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's weird to, okay, if their podcast. Because there's been a lot of crossover. Of, their podcast like is called Art of the Take. Yeah. Um, you're going to roll out your own podcast that has like take in it. The hottest take that also has like a fire emoji kind of thing, you know. It's like, I, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a little. See, my here's what here's how I think here's how I think this went. Yeah. I feel like a few of the Ringer people have been going back to fanboy Simmons, saying, "Man, I'll tell you what, you know, you know that uh, you know that that uh, Sixers podcast guy mm. from Philly, yeah, you know they they do this show where they like they riff on takes and it's really good." And Simmons was probably like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that would create like, it. Yeah, That's a great idea. Yeah, we'll do it. Well, it's, it certainly would create a conflict. Yeah, conflict of interest because, uh, yeah, Gonzo's been on there. I think, did they have Kevin O'Connor on there at one point? I think point Kevin O'Connor's been on there. Sanchez. They've had Chris Ryan on there. I like Chris um, Ryan a lot. Yeah, that's a, that could very well be a um, – I'll say it's a situation that I'm interested in in uh, seeing unfold. Um if it I think it's interesting. Publicly. I think, I I think it's like a, little a little bit, bit of, of a drama. Rip-off. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a um, a ripoff. Uh, speaking of ripoffs, you've been accused of of uh, making a couple of ripoffs here too. Um, Go on. Hang on. Let's let address it. it. I'm having trouble finding things tonight. I don't the know. one the one was that I I did a Bill Simmons impression. Apparently, that's uh, uh, yeah, ripping. Karen off was not happy with. Um, Karen, uh, who is an original Sons of Ben member, she says, "Can you tell Russ not to open with the Bill Simmons impression?" Uh, that he stole directly from rights to Ricky Sanchez after stealing the only Flyers podcast thing from them as well. Let's address uh, two things. And Mike, one, Mike Ferraioli's go- <laughs> uh, seconds that. Well, let's address one thing. Let's address somebody it. went on. Somebody went on to rights to Ricky Sanchez a while back and did a Bill Simmons impression. That's an impression. If somebody goes and does an impression of Donald Trump and then I do an impression of Donald Trump, it doesn't mean I'm ripping off an impression of an impression, right? That's so that's that's not a good point. Mm-hmm. Come on, Karen. <laughs> I will say that 
uh, I was unaware that the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is a Flyers podcast. I was unaware if I stole the only Flyers podcast. All right. What else do you have in the uh, in the hopper? Oh, we- oh, by the way, since we're since uh, we talked about the only Flyers podcast, big news, massive news should be coming out Wednesday. Oh, you're gonna. That's all do I'm gonna that say. To people, and you're not gonna tell them what it is. Okay. I can't. But what I will tell the um, people is that they're gonna want to keep their uh, their eyes and ears. If you're a Flyers fan, make sure you're over there on the Snow the Goalie channel. And of course, it'll be on Crossing Broad. NBC Sports Philadelphia added uh, a Flyers pregame and postgame host. Um, her name is Katie Emmer. Mm-hmm. Um, she comes to us from Minnesota. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't just drop that without explaining to me. <laughs> so Russ and I do this other thing on on it's always soccer in Philadelphia, where if you ever tune into a like a soccer game, like a Premier League or something, there's like a British guy calling the game. They have this thing like the British and Australian people do, where sometimes words that end in the letter A they'll pronounce them like an ER. So it became this like running joke, and then we turned it into a recurring segment where I give Russ or whoever the guest is, I give them like five or six or seven clues and they have to tell me the word that ends in the letter a and then um they have, but they have to pronounce it like they're british so like for example i gave you um last week i gave you like a, a leafy green that you put in a salad and you said that's arugula arugula yeah so anyway that became like a stupid thing that's why i said minnesota the way i did um just then but this minnesota. chick um is going to do uh Flyers pregame. She's John Bork. Okay, so she replaces. She's John John Bork without the conservative Facebook. I didn't even, dude. I'm embarrassed because I didn't even. um, Shit. Yeah, I didn't. I did not um, even put that in the article. Yeah, John Bork. I've totally forgot that John Bork was. But here's the thing. So they so they wrote in the press release. um, In addition to her hosting duties, Katie will contribute content across NBC Sports. But so Bork was writing. He was writing stories. He was for the website. So basically, uh, Serena Winners comes in and she's she takes over Jess Camerato and Molly Sullivan's job, right? So they wrap those two jobs into one. She does both of them. Um, Boric was already, I guess, doing that for Flyers, right? Okay, so I didn't really yeah. think about that. So this Katie um, chick, maybe I should edit this post. I didn't even really think about that. Uh, John Boric, by the way, you should be ashamed. Um, Machine, yeah, Machine had a firm, firmware update. Do you think that John Boric was let go because he's a conservative? Um, I think John Boric was let go because he wasn't great at his job. Let me let me make an amendment. He wasn't as great at his job as he thought he was. Okay. Does that make sense? Because I he didn't went from know being, him. I never met him. I, he went from being an anchor to being to convincing the network to make him the insider, but he really wasn't an insider. And I can tell you that from observing uh, the way that he interacted with some other people, I would think that he was a little bit off-putting to uh, to people down around the team. That's how I put it. Um, sorry, I'm responding to this troll. Which one? Oh, the, is it the Hitler troll? Because I love that we somehow got dragged into a Twitter spat between Kyle and a... Sixers Twitter troll, was it at Adolf Sixer, <laughs> yeah, was who was so who was like really upset that uh, what did he call us? He he called us all like glorified sales guys, 
and uh, Kyle tried to defend uh, uh, <laughs> tried to defend us. No, no, it was this guy was down saying, there. Well, he was under, it's, no, it's so weird. This is actually well, it's actually an interesting topic. So we share like this was when TMZ had the new angle of the Mike Scott video, and it, it wasn't new footage. It was just kind of better footage in a different angle. And Adolf Sixer, whoever the fuck he is. Um, comes out and says that we're just manipulating page views. We're manipulating page views, right? But that's not... So here's what everybody should know. That when we take like a a story from TMZ or something and we put their video on our website, that... It it goes back to them. Like they... They they benefit from that because we're... The video is being played from their embedded... The video is being played on our site through their embedded video. Okay, so it's, it's, it's not... Like we're stealing it, um, getting all of the video impressions on that. Like we get page views from people watching it on our site, but all of the views on um, all of the clicks on the actual video itself through the embed go back to TMZ, right? So really it's kind of like a symbiotic kind of thing. It's just standard industry practice. It's like you have an embedded video on your site. We'll share it on our site. We'll give you full credit. We give you the link. We say where it came from. That's like typically what we do all the time. You know, we say like, uh, Dave Zangaro at NBC Sports Philadelphia blew hyperlink there to his story, and we only really ever take like three, four, maybe five short paragraphs at a time. Like that's industry standard on how you cite and how you source other people. Like if we just, if I took TMZ's video, I ripped it off of off of their embed, and then I uploaded it to my own thing, and then put it on our site, we would get all the clicks for that. But that's that's bullshit. That's what Adolf Sixer is accusing us of doing, and that's not what happens because when it's I don't know any. I don't know any other better way to explain it, but because we're using the TMZ embed code, it's not like manipulating the the numbers or whatever. There are ways that you can do. Like for example, one of the ways that you can you can bullshit your way to more page views is like you can have like auto refresh and shit on your website, so your website just refreshes itself automatically, and then it like counts as two page clicks or some shit, right? Um, yep. But we don't we don't do any of that because we're we're for the most part pretty honorable um bloggers yeah you know what i mean i think look it's just like anything else i think we've said it on this show before but like what the site used to be was uh it was actually kind of fitting that it was like a tmz thing that this guy was upset about i would say that like crossing broad in its inception was more tmz ish right yeah and then over time over like the last two and a half ish years there's been a paradigm shift into being something that's more of a credible, reputable sports outlet. And so that's uh, that's why you go down and, and you do all the Sixers games and you do wonderful coverage down there. That's why Bob has been going down and doing the Philly stuff. That's why Anthony and I have been doing the Only Flyers podcast and why we're down there doing the press row show at every Flyers home game. It's because we're, uh, we're trying to, you know, give the best coverage to the Philadelphia sports fan. And, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I That's just it. I had to. That's um, it. Had to just no, end I'm... that conversation with that guy. He said the internet okay. moves fast. You should probably try to keep up. Um, as of right now, wow. you have a post criticizing a guy for not walking away from racial taunts, uh, and a tweet about the racist. Okay. <clears throat> you know, it's I can't deal with the fucking woke, the fucking woke motherfuckers. You know, <clears throat> gotta mm-hmm. you know, gotta um. Just keep going at it and at it and at it and at it, even when there's really nothing left to go at. 
uh, yeah. story came out Monday. You write a column on Monday. Like, yes, obviously, it's the, the column stays. People don't update. Uh, people don't update columns. They're they're to be written for the time that they came out. You don't see the newspaper saying, "Hey, we updated our column that we wrote in last Friday's Inquirer." All right, you fucking tough guy. It doesn't work that way. All right. Mm. Anyway, um, James Franklin. Uh, would be interested in extending the Pitt and Penn State series, and he talked about doing it at a neutral site. Does that make any sense at all to you? To extend it? No, to play it at a neutral. So Pitt and Penn, oh, sorry, Pitt and Penn State okay. didn't play from 2000 uh, to 2016, and then they, they had a four-game series, so they played Pitt, Penn State, Pitt, Penn State. They were basically like home games for Penn State anyway because Heinz Field was half Penn State fans. So if you were going to keep Penn State and Pitt going – like where else would you play? Could you play it at the link? Philly. Yeah, played at the link. There and there's only one reason to do it. It's because there are no college football teams in Philly. Uh that are worth that are that are of note that are worth watching. I See, saw I, an I I'll put I'll put a qualifier. I saw somebody like, say something like, Wouldn't it be cool if you had Villanova and Temple and Penn State and Pitt in Philadelphia on the same weekend? I would love that it. would be cool. I would love sure, it because I'm a college be football dude. I don't I don't know how much the average person would give a shit. If you did it in the week, bef- like a week before the Eagles game, maybe people would be interested. I don't know how, I don't know how many casuals you'd get, but uh, I mean, when Penn State played Temple Is the idea here, there like to like, do to do like back-to-back games, like to do Nova and Temple uh, to open for Pitt and Penn State? I don't know if he said, cool. I don't know if he, if he said it would be like a, like a doubleheader or something like that. You'd probably chew up, okay. chew the shit out of the field anyway. But um, yeah. I think maybe they said it would be like a Friday and then a Saturday kind of thing. I don't know. Um, for spitballing, it didn't sound like a bad idea to me, but um, I, dig. I don't know. I just you, You've heard me rail about this before. I, I wish that Pitt and Penn State played every year. I wish West Virginia played both those teams every year. I still wish that there was a you know a, an Eastern football conference that was like Pitt, West Virginia, Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, throw Virginia Tech in there maybe. I, I just don't. You know, it's kind of crazy to me to think that Pitt and Penn State are like two and a half hours away from each other. Pittsburgh and West Virginia are 70 minutes away. Morgantown is three hours to Happy Valley. All three of those teams are in different conferences, you know. Um, yeah. It just doesn't make a lot of sense geographically. It's almost like you're just throwing, you know, darts at the board. I, I understand why Penn State fans don't don't think they belong in like a, like a Big East or Eastern kind of conference or something like that. I mean, size-wise, enrollment – uh, the other sports programs that they have at the university, obviously Penn State is much closer to like an Ohio State or a Michigan than they are to like a, a Boston college, you know. But, um, you know, I just think for the sake of like geography and, you know, some of these historic rivalries and stuff like that, it's just, um, you know, it's a shame that those aren't being played every year. So. I agree. Uh, yeah, sorry I was derailed with this moron here. That's okay. Um, I don't think there's really much uh, much else in the hopper here. I got uh, working on a Deshaun thing for tomorrow. Uh, Scott Kingery uh, hit an inside the park home run. He did. Are you? Uh, do the Do you have anything left for the Phils? I I didn't really. I wasn't really big on the the Phillies at the beginning of the year, and I'm not really that big on them right now. So I don't want to crap on on anybody's parade who enjoys watching the Phillies, but this is this is my problem. I've I've now realized that as a parent of toddlers that your time is so limited to what you can watch and what you can dedicate your time to. And the idea of sitting down and, and not only watching three hours worth of baseball, but watching potentially four or more is just not an attractive proposition to me at this point for a team that, that hasn't really done enough to earn my attention. And when I'm saying the team, I don't necessarily mean the players 
like Brad of the House Miller. I'm not talking about Sean Rodriguez. I don't care about those guys. I'm talking about Andy McPhail. I'm talking about Matt Klentak, who failed to address the needs that this team had from the get-go. And while people were so excited in the beginning of the season, and, and admittedly, I was excited for the prospect of there being good and meaningful baseball in the city again, it was just impossible to overlook the fact that all this team had in the rotation was Aaron Nola, a declining Jake Arrieta, and then three essentially unknowns. I mean, the only thing that we knew about them was there was high bust potential. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be a contender, you have to have a solid rotation. They didn't address it in the offseason. They didn't address it when Dallas Keuchel became available, and the Braves did. And they didn't address it at the trade deadline, because I'm sorry, but like Drew Smiley, Jason Vargas, like these are not guys that you make a move to acquire when you're trying to chase down a wild card spot or to chase down a playoff spot, which is why like the Ken Rosenthal report where he called uh, those guys ambivalent, I thought was, uh, you know, it kind of punched you in the face. Mm. I would recommend that, you know, people go and check out uh, Bob and Anthony did Crossed Up Radio on 610 on Monday, and that's over in their channel. But like they did a really good breakdown of this. But like all along, it's been pretty clear to me that like the rotation was going to be a mess. Going into the season, it looked like the bullpen should have been strong with Dave Robertson, and we saw what happened there. Like, he he got hurt, wasn't able to come in, um, came back for a little bit, and then blew out his arm, and now you're not going to have him next year. That was certainly, like, a big blow. Um, it, it just sucks. The acquisitions that they've made to solidify the back end of that bullpen never came through. It was constant parade of injuries. It's a shame because I think, you know, Phillies fans were ready to pop the cork on this one and to, you know, have meaningful baseball down the stretch. And this team just keeps coming up small. But at some point, it's like, I I don't even think you can really blame the players because uh, they're not being put in a position to be successful because, quite frankly, there's a bunch of guys on this roster that are AAA at best players. If there's been one positive, I think it's been that, you know, that's okay, that Scott Kingery has kind of been a a revelation after a, a rough season last year he's been able to kind of come in and he had that inside the park home run tonight Mm -hmm. he's been hitting well in any spot that's not the leadoff spot he's played good center field which i i'm honestly surprised by and uh like to me he's like the uh the the biggest positive to come out of the season it was nice to see bryce harper go up today and to see that like 30 home run 102 rbi thing that you really haven't seen since the days of like ryan howard that was kind of nice but it's it's kind of been a mess of a season and Reese Hoskins man if if there's been one negative to come out of this season and maybe a, a bigger reason to blame McPhail and uh and Klentak for not doing a better job of making this a, a legitimate roster Reese Hoskins looks lost and Aaron Nola can't win you a big game and those two things are going to have to turn around if this team is going to play meaningful baseball into uh you know, into the the late fall next season because this this season's a loss. All right, let's just I wrap it up here. Let's make sure I didn't miss any. Uh, I got some questions here. Um, Investor Jeff wants to uh, wants to know: Do you guys think Mike Scott is a bitch or no? Hmm. Uh, no, I don't think he's a bitch. What do you say? Uh no, no. Um, e. J. McGrogan says. Actually, wait. Um, I have somebody else who has a as a wants to know if uh, Mike Scott is a bitch or not. Yeah, Lumberg, mm. Lumberg things. Um, 
I just, I'm, like I said, I'm having trouble reaching things today. I, I took me like 10 seconds to pull that uh, clip up. Um, EJ says, name the four for four Philly player uh, that you'd least like to fight. Just one? Yeah, he says like no boxers or, or Nate Diaz. So just uh, football, basketball, baseball, uh, ice hockey. Uh, which Philly player in those sports would you least like to fight? Mm. I don't know. I didn't put. I didn't put any thought into this. Uh, probably like one on the offensive line. Who's the big? Well, Embiid's probably the biggest guy, right? Yeah, <laughs> is but Embiid I, the largest you know um, athlete in Philadelphia right now? I don't think Embiid, he'd be quick Lane enough Johnson. to. Nah, I'd, I'd sneak a couple in on Embiid. <laughs> No, I'm you quicker. Wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. I'm, I'm quicker than him. Yeah, <laughs> no, the wingspan no, doesn't matter. No. The wingspan doesn't matter. Once you think you're, you're too quick. You think enough. you're too quick for him. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm. I'm in. You would probably. Inf- you would um, inflict a ton of damage. I'm sure. I would just cry. I would actually yeah, beat myself up yeah. just so he wouldn't. Hurt I would me. say Embiid or, uh, or like like uh, Lane Johnson or Kelsey or something like that. Um, Bray uh, says O'Brien says, did the Eagles actually play on Sunday or was the game just a distraction from the parking lot parties? That's crazy. I like it's funny how people get to like the point where like maybe on the second day of a story they're like, "All right, let's fucking move it on here. Nobody else cares." You know, you're beating a dead horse or whatever. But it's not. I mean, like stories evolve, and I mean, just because you are sick of like the same topic doesn't mean that there haven't been like newsworthy developments in the same topic. You know what I mean? Like in the in the news, um, we spend you know five six seven eight days doing new developments in this story or we have you know we found the hit and run driver who did this and now we have a surveillance video of this guy doing this you know like nobody nobody ever says like well i'm sick of the story let's move on to the next fucking thing if there's newsworthy developments there's new newsworthy developments you know i understand people are like whatever okay we've read enough about the mike scott thing but today was the most compelling day out of out of all of it honestly so um, well i gotta i i gotta i think we have to pour one out here for oj simpson Take a moment with me, because O.J. Simpson, nine minutes ago, who, by the way, amazing follow on Twitter, um, I had a Facebook commenter complain that uh, that I wrote up a post about him going after the Eagles coaching staff a little bit about not giving the ball to, yeah, about going uh, and getting the ball to Jordan Howard more. So O.J. Simpson, nine minutes ago, as of us recording this on Tuesday night, uh, put out a thing about how, you know, he was uh, upset last week about Antonio Brown. Uh holding out of, of uh, you know, being a Raider. And he, in this video, is talking about how he's excited that um, Antonio Brown could potentially be a flex play for him this week. But he's worried that he might be on a, a, a pitch count, if you will. So uh, I I feel I feel kind of bad for, uh, for O.J. Simpson here because not only did Andrew Luck retire 20 minutes after he got drafted by O.J. Simpson... Not only has OJ had to go through all the heartbreak of Antonio Brown last week, now he's put out a video where he's talking about playing Antonio Brown, and Antonio's got a whole bunch of legal trouble coming his way. All right, uh, before we wrap it up, I have two additions to the soundboard um, that I wanted to play. Okay. One. You know my name's not fucking Fredo. Fuck you. You know my name's not fucking Fredo. You know my name's not fucking Fredo. And then here's the other one that I actually accidentally just played. So, well, that one's that one's always been on. No, there. it wasn't added to. The, I didn't have it. I didn't like edit uh, it. Yeah, both of those are one second long. So I'd like to welcome uh, Chris Cuomo 
and Stu Bykowski to the soundboard. Yeah. And uh, I think with that being said, I will shut that shit down. I got to say, because there's a bunch of profanity in uh, some of your uh, your drops, there was a uh, an yeah. iTunes review that complained about it. They complained about you and your profanity because it certainly isn't me. Would oh, you somebody believe complained that in about all the years and all of the years of doing this show, I've never cursed once on this uh, on this podcast. Um, what did they say yeah, about my somebody. Profanity? Well, let me look and see. Hold on, I saw it. Uh, here's a person complaining about my Bill Simmons, and then here you go. <laughs> By uh, VJHDH, can you go one show without cursing? One star. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Good information. But saying the F word every other word makes it unlistenable in a public setting. Yeah. Let me put this I out to I the people. I think they just come because, in bursts. I don't think because, it's like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd say it like once every minute or something, but I'll, I'll do like two or three of them in a row. You know. So here's a question, I guess, um, for people out there that listen to podcasts. Do you listen to them in a public setting, and if so, how? Because if you're in a public setting, doesn't that imply that you're then listening to the show without headphones? So, like, are you in the park? Are you, like, at a playground with the audio playing out of your phone? Because that would be distracting. Are you at, like, the food court at the King of Prussia Mall trying to, like, grab your Chipotle bowl and just, like, letting it blast? Do you have a Bluetooth speaker that you're you're on? Or I'm just wondering. Because, uh, yeah. well, that's yeah. it. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Well, um... It was a pleasure, and uh, as always, yeah, I'm glad we have actually have uh, you know actual football to talk about too. It's nice to actually dive into like uh, some game film and get like you know quotes from the from the coordinators and from Doug Peterson. We're actually talking about specific plays and things that can actually be referenced. You know, it's just you get to the end of the preseason, you're like God, I just can't can't do another one of these press conferences. You know, it's just I feel bad because there's just like nothing for them to ask down there. You know, there's like nothing worth talking about and. Now we finally have something to talk about. A one and zero football do, team. To pull the uh, the curtain back really quickly before we head out, I do have to say the one thing I'm not glad is back is uh, our Slack chat during Eagles games. You know, for as much as people complain uh, about our Slack chat during uh, Sixers games with the roller coaster of uh, investor Jeff, our Slack chat is the worst, most toxic place during Eagles games. Not because horrible things are being said but because it is an absolute roller coaster where like five minutes into the first quarter everybody's ready to jump ship and i'm just sitting there trying to be the voice of reason i think i'm just going to mute slack through eagles games from now on that's what i do during sixers games i don't i don't log into slack during sixers games because i'm trying to work really too, anyway so yeah yeah all, all right, right well don't forget to go check out uh, all the shows in the crossing Broad podcast network they're all listed below and like i mentioned earlier um, crossed up, of course, on Mondays, 610 ESPN Radio, Crossed Up Radio. They'll be doing that for uh, at least a few more weeks through the Phillies season, and then we shall see what happens after that. But uh, there's going to be a big announcement coming very soon, and uh, this episode will go out Tuesday night. Most of you will listen to it Wednesday morning. You should be seeing at some point in your feed, your Twitter feed, an announcement from Snow the Goalie. So make sure you uh, go over, follow that show, subscribe on one of the many platforms. And uh, don't forget to go over to cinch.com, C-Y-N-C-H.com, and get yourself a new propane tank delivered to your home. They'll take the old one away for just $10 with the promo code CROSSINGBROAD. For Kevin, I'm Russ. Let's uh, get into week two of the NFL season, and we'll be back next week to break it all down.